You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, Village Church. My name is Bailey. Um, If you would, please turn with me to John chapter 12. Our focal passage is John 12, 9 through 19. You can read along on the screens or if you brought your own Bible, follow along with me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for braving the elements. I got here early this morning. It wasn't raining, but then everybody that came in was like dripping and stuff. So uh, thanks for that. You who are watching online and didn't come because of the rain, how dare you? Just kidding. Uh, Would you pray with me? And then we'll talk for a bit. God, thanks for your kindness to us and for song and the beauty of your gathered church and just getting to come together as we do to make much of you um, because you poured your life out to make much of us. Um, Would you just show us today through this passage in scripture who you are and would you let us live in a way that delights in you as our one true long-awaited unexpected king like no other we we love you and we thank you for your love for us in Jesus name amen did you know that there are 26 monarchies in the world right now like, I didn't know that. I looked it up because I was like, are kings like still a thing? And according to, you know, the internet, what they say is a fascinating network of kings, queens, sultans, and emperors who rule and reign over 43 countries in all. So that tells me uh, a couple things. One, there are still kings and kingdoms on the earth. And we know there are kingdoms and nations and, and they take different shapes. But there are still kings and, and actual kingdoms on the earth. Uh, two, many of those kings and, and rulers have little power at all. And we're familiar with some of those, like in the Europe area, uh, that they're just called something, but they don't actually lead anything or do anything. But according to the internet, there are 12 uh, 
that actually seemed to rule in, in some real way with some real authority and some real power. Uh, the reality is, is we, we all want a great king to rule and to reign our own life. And, and we probably want a great king to rule and to reign all of life. And at our worst, in prideful arrogance, and probably on most days, we want to be that king. We want to be the king that rules our own life, and some of us can't do that very well. And we want to be the king that rules all of life. And, and if not us, we can say, okay, maybe I'm not the right man or woman for the job, uh, or child for the job. Uh, we want a king to be the one that we want. We want a king that's made in our image, one that's ruling and reigning as we desire, as we design, no matter who's ruling, whether it's you or a sultan or a president or dictator or Congress. We have these expectations of what that leadership looks like. Like who doesn't want a leader carrying out our own heart's desires. That's, that's what we want. So those, those expectations, they cause masses to, to vote in the places where you can actually vote, uh, to parade, to sing praises, to defend. And those expectations on the flip, they cause masses to revolt and to riot and to overthrow and to vote where applicable. So, so we get to engage in all those things. And, and here's the thing. None of that is new. That, that's, not, that's not new. In fact, history would lead us to believe that a solo leader ruling with all power, that, that's not typically good for the masses. That's not typically good, certainly for the lower classes in literally any society throughout all time that's ever been. That's not typically a good thing. But those expectations of leadership, those expectations, those desires that we have in us to have a, a steadfast king, a ruler who leads with conviction and justice, with humility and grace, and who leads us and the world around us to operate in unity and peace for as long as they lead and, and well beyond, those things aren't new. And this is exactly who the ancient world hoped for. And, and for those God-fearing Jews, they were convinced that this Messiah, King, Savior would be the greatest politician the world had ever seen. And they get that because in the Old Testament, there's lots of promises about this Messiah, this rescuer, this Savior, this King who would rule in the lineage of David, but he would be like even better than, than our great King David. And he would rule for even longer than, than the, the line of David. And, and he would rule in, in justice and in power and all of these things. And so that's what they're waiting on. And, and Israel had been long cast aside and, and pushed around and, and forced to live according to the terms of other kings. But they had this hope, this promise, that they would finally be back on top. And that their guy would be ruling and they would be a part of it while everyone else, well, they can just deal with their own stuff, right? And so that's what they had in mind. So that is the scene that we're brought into where Jesus showed up in, in this scene, and, and that's the expectation that's driving the scene we read about here on this first Palm Sunday. In fact, Jesus has revealed himself to be the one who will be called king. But the expectations that people have, they will soon turn to disappointments because he isn't exactly the king that they expect. 
Has that ever happened to any of us? That you put your hope in something and they let you down? So their expectation for this king is, is that he will look a certain way and, and shortly they will see that, that his kingdom looks a different way. So, so what we see in this is that Jesus is the unexpected, long-awaited king like no other king. And so that comes to us from John, which we've been working through forever. We have a few more weeks in, in John, and we'll pause for a while for the rest of the year after we get through chapter 12. But <clears throat> what we see here is Jesus has been revealing himself, and, and, and in this section, uh, verse 9 through 19, we see uh, a couple things. So I just want to talk through a couple scenes, like skipping a stone across this passage real quick. There are first some tensions that we see, like, like Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and that sort of caused a bit of a, uh, some excitement around it. Some are angry. And so we see the Jews, uh, the leadership of the Jews, they're, they're doing like their natural response. They don't like something like, well, let's just kill it. <laughs> and so that's what they want to do. Like Lazarus has caused us some issues. Wait, I've got an idea. Like what is it? Like let's, let's kill him. Because then he won't be alive anymore. Like because he was dead and now he lives. But what if we killed him? We just got rid of the evidence that no one could believe in this Jesus who's raising people from the dead. And I, I think that that might have been like if Jesus decided like blowing out the birthday candles that like don't blow out and they like blow out and they start again. It's like he's dead and there he is. Like what is happening? He shows up on their porch the next day. But that's what they're doing. So they're divided. The, the Jewish leaders are thinking, let's kill them. Uh, they're really upset because many of the Jews are believing. And that's the division that some are actually saying, I think this Jesus, he might be the one, the real deal, the Messiah, the one that we should actually conform our lives to. So, so that's their plan. Let's kill Lazarus. And then, then kind of the next scene is just this buzz. It's building. And, and in verse 12, he like comes into the scene, right? And, and this is Jesus riding on a, a, a small donkey. And there's palm leaves. And it's a parade. And everyone's just like, you know, like, uh, man, we just can't believe that, that he's here. I'll read in verse 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they're all there for this big festival. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That's what's in their mind. So, so with this buzz, there are these large crowds just swarming. It's him. Like, he's here. Like, man, I, I, like, did you see him? Yeah, I like, got a glimpse. Like, check it out. Like, oh, it's glitching. Or like whatever, right? And so they're like, I, I saw him. And then uh, Josephus, he's a Jewish historian. He tells us, like, you're, you might be thinking that this is like a parade. Like, oh man, like here in Hamilton or maybe like, like uh, a couple, like we went to the balloon festival thing in Middletown last night. And there's like thousands of people. And you look around, you're like, there are lots of people. Josephus says that there were upwards of 2.7 million pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for this. So Lots of people, and, and lots of chaos, and lots of sounds, and excitement, and frustration, and all of the things. So, so they're waving palm branches, and they're, they're yelling, Hosanna, which means, save now. They're saying, save now. Hosanna. 
His miracles have made him and, and Lazarus a public spectacle. Like the, the circus is, is in town and, and all who are there want to witness it. A bit of background and gosh, I just, we don't have much time. But uh, the deal with the palm branches, you can read about this. There were these, these revolts that happened uh, in like the 160-ish. These, they're called the Maccabean revolts. And there were a couple guys that rose up and, and they actually defended uh, from a group of people so that they could keep the Jewish temple operating. And at the end of one of those things, they had this like big ticker tape parade and they had palm branches waving at the parade. And, and after that, that became like an icon, like a symbol of, of celebration, a symbol of like military victory. That's what the palm branch was. And so if you've ever seen like... Um, any of the Hunger Games or any of that, like, and, and there's like the, this marketing ploy to have this woman be the icon that raises a revolt. So she becomes like the Mockingjay. And it's like, oh man, I, I want to get my new Mockingjay t-shirt, like printed at Unsung, you know, or whatever. Um, and so, but, but that's the idea. And, and so here they have the same thing. It's like an icon or it's like a foam finger with your team on it, right? It's like the first one of those. So it's like, they know what they're doing, and they know what those branches mean, and it's, and it's this, I, they expected a military king to bring national deliverance, and they had heard enough, and they had made their, their assumptions like, I, I think this is him. So then, right after that, that's like the good, but then after this, man, it, it kind of goes south the, the coming week, but but. The reason why he did that, the reason why he showed up, is to fulfill some prophecy which comes from a long time before this, like 520 B.C., right? Um, a guy named Zechariah was, was writing, and, and so Jesus, he comes into town riding on a, on a baby donkey. That would have thrown them a bit, because they're like, this is the guy who, he raised the guy from the dead, and he's been doing all these things why is he on, it just looks awkward. He's on this baby donkey that's not an accident. He, he does that on purpose to point, to point us to something greater. And if this were a movie and you were like in the parade, right now what would happen is like the camera would zoom in like on the donkey's eyeball. And then it would come out on the other side of that eyeball and it would be some guy, 520 BC, riding his name's Zechariah. And so we want to take that context of what's happening, the parade and the donkey, and, and tease out what they knew was happening, what Jesus was telling them. So, so that's what we know about this king, that he came in on a donkey, but, but what the palms and the donkey tell us and what Jesus wanted us to know, it comes from Zechariah chapter 9. So, so like you can flip there in your Bibles. It's, it's the second to last a book in the Old Testament. Uh, we're hanging out in Zechariah for the rest of the time, pretty much. And so, Jesus is unexpected, long-awaited king like no other. Um, and, and here's the thing. Like, Forrest Gump, it's a movie that's a, it's about a guy who sits on a bench, but you forgot that. Right? It starts with him on a bench, and it ends with him telling a story on a bench, but you, but you forget because you get caught up into the story. That's what we're doing. This is a story about a, a guy on a donkey but really, we're taken back a little bit. And so we want to see what type of king this guy is. And this is what we see. This king is a righteous rescuer. 
This Jesus on this king, uh, this Jesus on this donkey is a, a righteous rescuer. And so Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he says it this way. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. He's talking to God's people who are in uh, a, a bad way. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And then if we skip down to verse 16, on that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Jesus is connecting this passage, written 500 plus years prior, to what he's doing in Jerusalem, writing this Donkey, we see that he's a righteous rescuer. Your coming king, the one who Jesus is saying, that's me. He isn't the king that they all want. He isn't, it, it, isn't this the expectation that anyone would have for a ruler, that, that he would be righteous and, and that he would bring salvation? But there are two major problems with that description. The first one is, is we define what's right according to our own standard for good and bad and right and wrong. So this king's coming, and, and he is the righteous one. He is the good one. He is the standard for those things. And what that means is, is every ruler, every voter, and every revolter, high and low, has justified their actions, has justified our actions, wicked or righteous, by our own standard. That's what we do. And what I mean is, you sit here and you have probably in your life, in any spectrum, an enemy to the left and an enemy to the right. And they're, they're the problem and they're over here and they're the problem and they're over here. And this person talks too much and this person doesn't talk enough. And this person leads in a way that's whatever and this person leads in a way. But what we typically do is we just center ourselves. Like we are the righteous ruler. We, we, like however we do it, that's the way that it should be. That's why you do it that way. Whatever it is. Like with the tiniest kingdom, like your, your, the island in your kitchen, like that kingdom, and people fight and they put their own stuff, like, right? If there's a flat surface, it will get filled up. That's like a law of physics, I think. But just something, just a kingdom that small that you rule over, like you don't rule over it. And you think that you have it right, and, and there are times, well, there are times to put stuff there, and there are but then think about like kingdoms of the earth and how this actually plays out in other ways. Like we, have, we are the standard of righteousness. That's a problem for us when we have this king that's coming who is righteous. And the second thing is if there is a coming king who is a rescuer, that means that I'm in need of something that I can't obtain myself. And sometimes that's not something that I want to look at. Like, I can figure it out. I can solve problems. I can navigate this whatever it is. I can overcome this pain. I can overcome this void. I can, I can deal with things. And, and you're telling me that, that this coming king is one that, that I'm going to have to acknowledge as king. And, and he's righteous according to my, no, according to his standard for righteousness. And you're telling me that he's going to rescue me? Rescue me from what? This is a surprise of, of the Christian life that we're not good enough, that we're not right before 
God, but our hope is in this rescuer. If the palm branches shout the praise of a righteous rescuer, like what does that tell us of this man, Jesus? It tells us that Jesus is righteous, that he's perfectly obedient to God, that he walks in the ways of, of the supreme divine design for all of creation every time, no matter what, that he never misses. In fact, Paul tells the church at Corinth, uh, uh, the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, this, this guy, Christ, he knew no sin. He didn't say, like, he was like a solid dude. I mean, he had his, like, no, he didn't know any sin. This is really important for us. He knew no sin. He's perfectly righteous. So we have a lot of grace for our rulers. Now, sometimes we don't. It depends on if, if you would say, that's not my king or not. But, but if, it is your, if it is your king, we have a, a ton of grace for our rulers. Some are even aware of, of abuse and misconduct and, and deception, and they, they don't care so long as they carry out the preferred policy that we want. And like, you can accuse me of being political in that, and sure, whatever, we're talking about a king, that's okay. But, but I mean that in all of life. Like, that coach is kind of like, man, he's a jerk, but like my kids is a starting pitcher. So like it's, like, it's not great, but it's working out for me. Like you can see how like we can get there, right? And so Jesus is a righteous ruler, not like the rulers of the earth. We live this way. The ends justify our means and, and we'll do whatever, but he's not like that. Here we have a legitimate, long-awaited king who is, has no offense in him. He pleases God. He only does good according to the divine standard for what is good. And then secondly, we see that Jesus is the rescue. And, and maybe the image of rescuer is the same one that you have. It's a core memory. I shared it once years ago, but like... It's a core memory of mine, like the show Rescue 911. I think like William Shatner was the host, and we watched like every Thursday at 8 as a family. And I remember, I, it must have been like in the opening montage, like when the music's playing. But there was this kid, I think, and he's like hanging on a tree, and there's like just rushing river, just water flowing. And, and it's like, that dude is in a bad way. But there's like a helicopter or some rescue team with ropes and harnesses, and they're grabbing him, and it's like, okay. So when I think of the word rescue, because it was like that happened when I was young, again, that didn't happen to me. I watched the show when I was young. Then like when I hear the word rescue, like I think rescue 911, William Shatner, oh, that poor kid, I hope he made it, you know. So... So that's what I think of rescue, like someone in a bad way, right? Kid in a tree, rushing water all around. But, but, but you may say this, like, but I'm not in a, a burning building. And I'm not, I'm not hanging onto a tree with a rushing river around me. And, and I'm not speeding on a bus with no brakes. And this is what I would say to, to all of us. But you are. In fact, we are in a worse situation than that. We are dead in our sins. We are dead in our 
trespasses. We are not the standard for good. We are not able to rescue ourselves from this predicament that we have gotten ourselves in. And no mere king of this earth can rescue you from, from this predicament you are in by nature and by choice. They thought he was a mere earthly king establishing a mere earthly kingdom. And, and, and one where they win and when everyone else loses and that's fine, but, but Jesus is the king of all kings, righteous. But not only is he righteous, but, but, but God says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is righteous and he is rescue. The, the king is righteous and by his righteousness, he, he, he rescues the unrighteous. He is legitimate, just, perfect king who gives you what you can never gain because of his great love for you. What a king and, and here's some, some beauty for us. For us as king and for, for all those real kings out there ruling and reigning, every other king of your heart and every other king of the earth will let you down. And that means that you're going to let yourself down. And that means you're going to let others down. It means that those around you are, are, are not going to meet your expectation. They're, they're going to fail you. And Jesus may let down your false expectation of what you think he is and how you think he should show up in town, but he is the king, I tell you, the one true righteous rescuer. He is good and he will save even, even you. So, so what that means is when we get that, when we have a real king who actually delivers, then we get to engage the world around us realistically. We get to engage uh, spouse and, and child and, and family and neighbor and coworker and boss and president and all of the things. We get to engage those Understanding that there is a, a better king and we get to let mere humans be mere humans. The second thing is, is this king is humble and lifted up. Zechariah goes on, he says, he's, he's humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. I'm no farmer, but this is like a baby donkey. He's like, he's hanging out on a baby donkey. It wasn't an elephant or, or like with infantry or troops or fireworks or an air raid. But he, but he did come as Zechariah said that he would. R.C. Sproul says it this way. He says, Jesus came into the city. He did not deny that he was the people's rightful king. However... By riding a donkey, colt, he subtly informed them that he was the king God had appointed, not the king they had conjured up in their expectations. See, some want humble kings, and, and others want domineering kings, so long as you are in their good graces. And then no one wants a domineering king. 
if they call you enemy. But, but can you imagine Herod or Caesar or Nero or, or Putin or Churchill or Obama or Trump or, or Biden uh, bowing low and, and showing up at a, a military rally or a UN council in a 1986 Ford Escort? That, that doesn't typically happen because they have to front and exude power and prominence according to the world. And so every, every public showing is an, is an arm wrestling match for the rulers of this earth. And that should, one, give us like grace to them because I know you've been in, in can't win situations. No, no political leader can win. Like 51%, that's not winning. And that's, that's, your, that's like the best chance that you got. But, but they're, they're all, it's, it's always arm wrestling. It's, it's always just trying to, to gain some leverage. Yet the literal king of kings, this, this guy Jesus, who rolls up on this baby donkey, he doesn't have anything to prove. We sing songs about him being the king of kings. Do you know what that means? There's a proverb, it says, a, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. So you think of all the greats, the Mongols, Rome, whoever, all the greats, literally, like my brother-in-law, Josh Short, he can like, you know, in a pool, like squirt water in any direction, like just like that. The, the greatest kings that this world has ever brought up the Lord is just, it's just water in his hand. They're, they're nothing. He channels their hearts wherever he chooses. He shows up on a, on a donkey, and he did that to certainly to fulfill the prophecy, to let them know, and secondly, to, to shatter expectations by being lowly. This, this cult was, was different than today. It was, it was really small. He would have squatted. I want to show you, not yet, I want to show you this picture for, for three seconds. It probably looked as silly as this. You can go ahead and listen. See that? That's me and my brother. Uh, okay, you can take it off. Um, every sibling day, which Facebook says it's like every three weeks, it's like, hey, sibling. I just share that every time. Um, because that's my favorite. So that's, that's as awkward as this would have looked. And so they probably would have came like, he's coming. And like, dude, like, do you hear? Like, is the band elephants marching? Like, I didn't see. And he just, you know, legs, you know, his legs were out. I mean, just awkward. And like, they're like, is that really him? <laughs> like, I thought he was. And then somebody's like, but bro, like, what if? Is he doing, like, in the, and they're making the connection that they knew the prophets. And they begin to think, like, is this real life? This is really happening right in front of us? This king isn't, he's not coming like we think he is because this isn't a king like we have seen before. He, he comes to show the way of his kingdom and his kingdom and, and the way of his people. They don't power up, but they lay down their power. They don't demand to be served, but, but, but they bow low and they serve. He is Worthy, and he will put his authority and power on display 
through righteous judgment when the time comes, but his nature is meek and his kingdom is near. We, rescued by his righteousness, we get to submit to his humility in humility, and we get to live in light of his power. Kings of the earth, they don't drive 86 Ford Focuses because the only authority that they have is what has been granted to them by others. If, if you are in a position of power, it's only been granted by another through a, a title. Uh, maybe you're, you're king, and maybe you're director, and maybe you're manager, maybe you're pastor, maybe you're mom, maybe you're manager, maybe you're coach. Whatever it is, all those things, they're just titles that have been given to you by, by someone else, and that makes, that makes for really frail dynamics. None of us have real power that comes from ourselves, so we're, so we're drawn to, to posture, to play pretend, to power up, to play the game, to, to keep what we have, what little actual power we have, or to gain the power that we don't have, to gain any uh, actual authority that we may or may not have. This is why we see damage of, of abuse of power and the, you know, atrocious actions to gain or to keep authority that, that really, it, it doesn't extend beyond the system that we're living in, in any context. But this, this humble king isn't ruling because he has been granted power by anyone else. Nor does he play his part in the system around him. He is the system. He is the greatest. He bound DNA and he flung stars and galaxies and he, and he holds all things together in, in greater ways than, you know, the, the strong nuclear force of atomic particles or, or gravity or other things that we don't really understand. He's greater than all of those things or, or any man-made power system or structure. He's beyond all of those things. And yet, he rides into town on a donkey. He washes feet. He doesn't have a, a mansion, but his home is where his head finds rest at night. He doesn't rally the troops, but he lays down his life in humility because he understood the assignment, the great exchange, his death for our life, his righteousness for our sin, his shame for our gain. That's our king. And the last thing we see is that this king brings peace to the ends of the earth. Paul says, he, he quotes a, a poet or a songwriter in Acts 17. He says, as some of your own poets have said, and I would say the same thing of this, as some of our own poets or some of our own prophets have said, Tom Petty, right? Maybe you know him. He said this, it's good to be king if just for a while to be there in velvet, you had to give him a smile. It's good to be king and have your own way, get a feeling of peace at the end of the day. And it's good to be king. It is good to be king. To get a feeling of peace at the end of the day. If I were king, 
That's what I would want. Like life is really hard. (laughs) And relationships are hard. And work is hard. And money and all of that is, is, is hard. And no matter what is swirling around, man, and he's talking, like, I don't think he's talking about the same type of peace we're talking about, right? If I were king, man, I just want some, some peace around me, inside of me. And so, again, Zechariah telling us who this king that would come, would ride on the colt. He says this, he said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, right? Ephraim is the northern kingdom of Israel. I'll, I'll cut off the chariot. He's saying, I will undercut the army. And, and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And from river, which is usually the center of, of any kind of civilization, to the ends of the earth. That's this king. That's this, this king. And Jesus is telling them and he's telling us that that's me. For all the division and the chaos and, and different ideologies and, and preference of, of leader types, there is one thing that most reasonable people agree on that, that we want. We want peace. And so much of this life is about finding inner peace. We want to make sense of the world around us and be in control of the world outside of us. And we want control, which leads to kind of a reduction of friction, of division, of disorder, of chaos. And I know some of you, like most of the sweetest people that I know, that hate conflict in any way, you just, just dip. If there's like anything that's like this feels like I just want to go away from that. Like I don't want to be in that room. I don't say, like, man, sometimes you have to push through those things, but, but at the end of the day, that's what we want. We, we want, like, a reduction of friction and chaos and disorder and division, and, like, can't we all just get along? That's, like, what we, that, that's what we want. We want to find inner peace, and so often to get that, we are dependent upon circumstantial peace, the things outside of us, the things that are usually outside of our control, and yet this righteous, humble king is said to be the one who will cut off the circumstantial battle and wars that wage around and the chariots and the, the war horses and the battle bow. He says he, he will bring those things low. This king, long awaited yet unexpected, will be the king of peace here, there, sea to sea, river to the ends of the earth, now and forever. So this happens, this happens in two places. This, this shows up in two places, inside and, and outside. Inside now because of who Jesus is and outside in time because of, of what his kingdom brings. It happens within, there's this passage that, that again Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And you're like, oh, that's. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so it's just saying like, pray about everything. Submit all that you have to him and, and what will happen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus is this king, the call to us is, is that search for like order and peace inside of us, it happens through this King Jesus. And, and the call is, when things go bad, turn to him. And, and we have to respond, we have to do things, but when we can't find that inside of us, man, turn to him. If this Jesus on this donkey is this king, he changes the way that we worry and what we fret over and how we process success and failure and fear and how we pray. And none of that is saying, like, don't get medical help that you need. And none of that's saying, don't find friendships that, that serve you and, and help you. None, none of that is against that. What he's saying is there is a way that this king brings about a peace in us that doesn't make any sense. It surpasses all understanding. It's, it's unreasonable peace. How can you live like that when literally your life is in ruins behind you? This is how. Because this king showed up on a donkey. That's how. And he declared himself to be a different type of king. A king that, that this earth has never seen. And he invites me to live in light of him in a way that doesn't make any sense. And, and then the second thing is outside, all around, for, for all time, there, there is this, this one day ahead that makes the idea of, of a king and kingdom bitter and sweet. It's, it's bitter because it isn't here now. It's yet to come. It's sweet because it will be a peace that flows from all understanding that King Jesus rules and reigns righteous as our Savior, as our rescue, as the humble King who has defeated all enemies, sin and death, evil and wickedness. All the broken parts will be restored and, and here's the hope. All things made new. This is our King and he, and he won't always be riding on a donkey. And one day he will return in power. Today, in this room, we get to wave our branches of worship and devotion and trust and allegiance. And today, today we get to trust him as the best king of all kings. Today we get to be his because he rescues those in need. And I am one in need. Today we get to walk in and live out this peace inside of us and outside of us. Remember all this happened in the eyeball of a donkey? Remember that? If we zoom back out and we get back to the parade and the palm branches, the last scene that we see here is one of confusion and commitment. Here's... Here's how it goes. In verse 16, his, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But John helps us. He says, but when Jesus was glorified, that's to come. He, he died and he rose again. He was glorified. Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done by him. 
the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That's, that's a pretty powerful line. See, for the Pharisees, they're rejecting him. These are the ways that we get to respond. The Pharisees, they reject him, and, and they say, it's over. Look, look at these people, the way they love him. They don't love me like that. They don't love our power like that. Look at this king. They know he's the real deal, and yet they continue to reject and oppose him. They're upset that the people believe. So the Pharisees are still looking for their king, but those who believe, they have found their forever king. And that's what I'm inviting us into today. That there is a forever king that holds peace in his hand and righteous, righteousness in his rule and his reign out of the character of who he is. And he is a rescuer that invites us in to be citizens in this kingdom. Now, mixed in with the broken parts of this life and forever, all things made new. That's what we get to respond to today. Some are confused. They didn't know what to make of it. Some reject. They're upset that the people believe and, and some believe. And they put their full faith and trust in him, this great king. Jesus is the unexpected, long-awaited king like no other. So we get to respond. The band can come on up um, however you'd like. And you get to sit right where you are or stand up and sing or, or pray. There's a prayer bench over there. Someone would like to pray with you at that red tree back over there. Kim and I will be back at that uh, aisle right there. We would love to pray with you. And, and the encouragement is this. Man, figure out what it looks like. Uh, reflect and repent and respond. Read those questions and consider these things as we interact with this King Jesus. And if you're part of God's family, and you've come to a place to where you're reconciled back to him, you've, you've repented of your sin, and you believe him for, for newness and eternal life, then man, the invitation for us to, to take communion, to take the, the bread and the cup as a reminder and as a, as a declaration that he lives, that we live because his body was broken, that we live, that we are forgiven because his blood was spilled. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for the privilege Thank you that, that you are a, a humble king, but you are a righteous king. Thank you that you came and you showed them then and us now and, and the whole world who has gone after you, who you are, what you've done. Would you let us believe boldly today? You let us lay down our guard, not power up. Would you let it change the way that we lead in this city and and in the places that we go and, and we lead and, and live and work and do all those things, would you, let, would you let these truths that we have a real king, that we don't have to be him, would you let those change the way that we live our lives now and forever in Jesus' name?